Welcome to the Modern Slavery Pack podcast. I am Jakub Sobik, I'm a communications director at the center. The Modern Slavery and Human Rights Policy and Evidence Center was created to enhance understanding of modern slavery and transform the effectiveness of laws and policies designed to address it. We are funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council on behalf of UK Research and Innovation. From the inception of the Modern Slavery Pack, we've worked to change the ways we fund and do research on modern slavery. Firstly, so that the evidence produced by it can influence laws and policies and practices on modern slavery. In order to do that, we need to reframe it so that it responds to policymakers' needs and is designed in a way that makes it accessible for them. Secondly, we need to meaningfully include people with lived experience of modern slavery in research and policy so that it reflects their lived expertise. But meaningfully including people with lived experience is not straightforward and a lot of consideration needs to go into it to do it well and safely. We need to improve diversity within the modern slavery research community itself to effectively include all individuals, communities and organizations with an interest in modern slavery. To do that, we need to learn how to build research partnerships so that academics can effectively work with non-academic people and organizations who can make their research better, more accurate more powerful and more effective. These issues are all quite new in modern slavery research and aren't as widely as embedded as everyone would like. And we've been getting quite a lot of feedback from all sorts of quarters that there is a need to do some work to bring everyone together so that we can talk to each other, learn from each other and find ways of doing research better. This is why we started a new series of events with the aim of building capacity across the whole sector, including ourselves, of course, and learning what works. We're planning to bring people together and discuss issues such as meaningful inclusion of people with lived experience in research, building research skills capacity of NGOs, particularly those small ones whose primary focus is in research, but who have a big role to play being at the forefront of direct work with survivors, or building capacity of research community in impacting policy. The first event we organized in this series was on building partnerships between academics and NGOs in modern slavery research. It isn't easy to set up and operate these kind of research partnerships. There are many challenges that they have to overcome. One of the obvious ones is the potential power imbalance between partners. When an NGO is a partner rather than a project lead with a smaller proportion of the funding and perhaps it may lack research expertise that academics have. Others could be about the way different organizations work, having different systems in place, different financial operations and so on. So for the workshop we organized on 18th of July, we invited speakers from two projects funded by the Modern Slavery Pack to reflect on their experiences working in these kind of partnerships. They were Dr. Liz Sanchez, who ran our project assessing modern slavery prevention initiatives in the UK, Debbie Arrio, who is the Chief Executive of AFRUCA and uh, Chair of the UK BME Anti-Slavery Network, or BASNET, Robin Brearley, who is uh, Executive Director of the West Midlands Anti-Slavery Network, and Lauren Saunders, a Head of Policy and Research at Unseen. We also shared our own lessons we learned from our funded projects so far. This podcast is a recording of that event. However, we took out the questions and answers part of it, to protect the privacy of attendees and uh, make sure that everyone can safely take part in these conversations. So if you want to ask questions, please come to our next event. Finally, keep an eye for more workshops like this in the autumn 
and feel free to drop us a message through our contact us page on our website uh, which is at modernslaverypack.org uh, where by the way you can also read our blog with our three key takeaways from from what we've learned so far or you can contact us through our social media channels on twitter at slaverypack and on linkedin where you can just search for the modern slavery pack okay here we go i hope you enjoy listening So it's fantastic to have so many of you here this afternoon for this workshop on ways of working and equitable partnerships between academic researchers and NGOs. I'm going to start off by just running through some housekeeping for the meeting um, and then we'll get into the main content. So just to let you know that we are recording this meeting and we do plan to publish the recording afterwards for anyone who can't make it but we will not be publishing the Q&A section to the meeting. Uh, so you can feel free to ask questions openly during that part of the meeting. Before we start, uh, I'm just going to run through a standard set of meeting rules that the Modern Slavery PEC has in place for all meetings and events that we organise. Um, I'll read through these. Feel free to ask any questions. So there is no requirement to disclose any experiences during the meeting but please do be mindful that statements can be made which might disclose personal narratives of modern slavery. We ask that all attendees observe a set of meeting rules to ensure the meeting is an open and inclusive space for discussion. So to go through those rules quickly, we ask that all participants are sensitive and respectful, listening to all points of view made in discussion and responding to these and to any disclosures respectfully. Please don't ask any participants for details of any experience they might have of modern slavery. Uh, disclosure isn't necessary to participate in any of the modern slavery PEC's work. Please be mindful when using terminology that references people who have lived experience of modern slavery uh, and respect individuals' wishes in the use of terminology to describe their lived experience. At the modern slavery PEC, we tend to use the terms people with lived experience and survivors we try to avoid using they as a collective noun to avoid othering individuals' experiences. We also avoid using the term victim as it tends to deny agency to people who might have experienced modern slavery. We use the term modern slavery as an umbrella term covering a range of different offences and types of severe exploitation, but we make no assumption that this definition should be accepted uncritically or should be adopted necessarily by others. Please do respect individuals' rights to anonymity. Some attendees might feel more comfortable with their camera off and using an anonymous or pseudonymous screen name. Please ensure that they're still included as part of conversations. And finally, ensure that uh, you take breaks as necessary and that you protect your own mental health as needed. Discussions of modern slavery we know can include upsetting and distressing topics and all attendees at any of our meetings do have the right to remove themselves temporarily or permanently should you need to. Uh, and just a reminder that you all have uh, your cameras and your microphones disabled for the first part of this meeting, and we will enable them for the Q&A part of this meeting. So we have three main objectives today. Um, we want first to share some lessons learned, both from the Modern Slavery PEC and from two case studies who will be speaking on cross-sector collaboration between academic researchers and civil society practitioners in modern slavery research. And these are kind of lessons and reflections drawn 
in our case from the projects we've worked with uh, and in the two case studies uh, from the projects they've worked directly on. Second, we'd like this to be a space to collaboratively discuss some of the opportunities and the challenges around this kind of cross-sector research collaboration. And the Q&A slash discussion section is designed to enable us to do that. So we'd really invite you to uh, think about your questions, comments, thoughts, and to make that part of the meeting as interactive as possible. Do feel free, by the way, if you have questions and comments as we go through to drop them into the chat, we'll come to those in the Q&A part of the discussion. And finally, we hope that this kind of an event can help to make new connections, help you to make new connections in order to support future research collaborations. When you signed up, we asked you if you were happy for your details to be shared with other participants after the meeting. So if you said yes to that, we will be sharing a participant list with contact information after the workshop. Do let us know if you no longer wish to be included in that. So we're going to uh, briefly introduce the Modern Slavery PEC for those of you who are not familiar with the organisation. Uh, and then we're going to talk about lessons learned from our perspective as a funding organisation before we move on to two case studies from two different projects funded by the Modern Slavery PEC. And finally, we'll have an opportunity for Q&A discussion at the end of the meeting. So to begin with and to introduce the Modern Slavery PEC and what we do, I'm now going to hand over to Professor Alex Belch, our Director of Research, uh, to introduce the Modern Slavery PEC. Over to you, Alex. Thanks very much, Owen, and uh, great to be here. Um, welcome, everyone. My name's Alex Bulch. I'm, um, as I said, Director of Research. I'm also uh, an academic based at the University of Liverpool uh, in the Politics Department, and um, really excited to be here uh, and talk about equitable partnerships. Um, but I, I just thought it'd be useful to give a brief uh, intro into um, the PEC, what we are, <clears throat> what we do, and how partnership working is absolutely central to our purpose, which is um, to improve the quality of research uh, around modern slavery, but also to get that into the hands of the right people. So the purpose of improving policy and laws uh, addressing modern slavery. So, you know, that's the reason why we want to improve collaboration. We feel that that is going to um, improve both of those aims. So it improve the quality of the research, but also working together we have a greater chance of impacting on on policy. Um, so um, we are 10 million pound uh, funding uh, by UKRI. Um, we have until the end of March 2024 left on our funding and we are a consortium. So we're actually quite a complicated um, organisation. Uh, I'll put the um, the constituent partners up on the slide. So you can see we've got six uh, universities or research institutes that make part of our uh, consortium. So we're already a partnership. So partnership is absolutely central to what we do. And obviously all of those universities have their own history and uh, networks uh, of partnership with third sector and NGOs. And um, we are supported by um, primarily by the Arts and Humanities Research Council, but also with uh, help from the ESRC. So we know that uh, partnership is something that's of particular interest to all the funders as well. Um, so in terms of what we do and how we do it, just briefly, um, we, we're about co-development, co-production, co-creating both the research agenda, but also the projects, and the research that will you know, fill that agenda. So we're very keen to work with stakeholders to identify what the gaps are, 
to work out where the most urgent need is for research and then working together to develop that because we're aware that while academics bring enormous expertise in methods uh, and in research skills and techniques we need to work with different types of expertise and bring in different types of evidence to really uh, enrich our understanding of modern slavery we, we have to also prioritize different types of evidence and that means collaborating with practitioners particularly with people with lived experience who are you know the, the foremost experts in in this topic and also policymakers so that we ensure that um, the research that we produce is actually of use and is taken up and used um, to improve policy. So we do that in a number of ways. We convene events like this, uh, but we do a lot of work behind the scenes trying to develop those relationships, uh, which you know require a lot of effort and uh, build up a lot of trust between different types of stakeholders, whether that's academics and non-academics, um, businesses, um, people involved in law and policy, uh, but also those who are most affected, uh, those communities most affected, those individuals most affected uh, by modern slavery. So we do that in a number of ways that's there on the list, um, you know, communication, um, uh, dissemination, uh, translation of research findings. A lot of our work is about taking findings and actually helping researchers to communicate those more effectively so that people understand what the most important implications are of their research. So I think that's it for me. Very brief introduction. I'll hand back to Owen. Great. Thanks very much, Alex. So we're now going to talk for the next sort of 15 minutes or so about some lessons learned um, from our side as a funding organisation about um, partnerships between academic researchers and civil society uh, practitioners from across the portfolio of projects that the Modern Slavery PEC has funded. So to begin with, uh, I'm going to hand over to my colleague Izzy Templer, who is our Research Operations and Communications Manager, who's going to talk about some of the different types of partnership that we fund and support. Thanks Owen, it's nice to be speaking with everyone today. Um, I'm Izzy Templer, the Research Operations and Communications Manager at the PEC. So I'm going to start off by talking through sort of who's collaborating on the research that we fund. We've had a variety of different types of organisations involved in our research, which we're always really pleased to see if that links to our um, equality, diversity and inclusion objectives around bringing diverse audiences into our research. What I'm going to do now is have a closer look at some of the types of organisations that have been involved and sort of the new and innovative methods that they've used to collaborate in their work. So starting off with academic and research organisations, obviously the traditional organisations to be involved with research, but what we've seen has been really exciting sort of cross-disciplinary collaboration to bring new types of um, researchers into the modern slavery space and also bringing in early career researchers into project teams and having them sort of leading on elements and strands of research projects. Next we have non-academic partnerships so these include UK and international charities, NGOs and third sector organisations um, including you know, right down to community groups or national charities. And we've seen these types of organisations facilitating that work with people with lived experience of modern slavery that Alex touched on earlier, and also leading on strands of research, especially where it relates to data that they might hold within their organisation or where they've got a specific interest or specialism. 
the final sort of group of organisations that we've seen collaborating in our projects are non-funded partner um, collaborators. And these are it, these are groups such as businesses, government departments, enforcement agencies that can have sort of an advisory role in projects but might not receive funding. That leads us on to the different types of roles and responsibilities that different organisations might have in research projects. Obviously, the primary one being um, working as researchers. If you're new to the research space and you're wanting to get involved in collaborating in research, it's really important to sort of know the terminology of principal investigator and co-investigator. So this will be used all throughout application forms for funded research. And all this means is researchers on a project. So a principal investigator is the lead researcher on a project, the person who's leading on achieving the goals of a piece of research and doing sort of that project management side of things. Co-investigators are the researchers that collaborate with the principal investigator and they might lead on certain strands of the research. And what we really look for is equity and equitable arrangements in the team to have different organisations collaborating and being involved in projects. Another really exciting um, way that we've seen new people being involved as researchers in project is through peer researching, which is where people with lived experience are given training and support in order to act as a researcher within a project. And that's something really exciting that we're seeing coming through in the modern slavery sector. The next method of collaboration is through advisory groups. This is a really great way to get different organisations involved who you might be looking to influence with your research or who could help you to meet those influencing targets within your research. So they can give really targeted advice to you in how to further the goal of your project. And the final method of collaboration that we wanted to mention today was research participants. But it's really important to make sure that research participants are collaborating on your research in a way that's equitable. So this means doing things like offering payment to recognise people's time and expertise, ensuring you've got strong safeguarding policies in place and offering additional support and advice to people who are working on your project. And making sure that any kind of participation is really throughout the project, so it's not having an individual coming in to do a focus group and then going away and never hearing about the research again, but bringing them back in, checking findings with them, checking recommendations to make sure you understood their involvement correctly. As you can see, there's a real range of ways that people can collaborate on research and really we recommend you come up with something bespoke that meets the needs of your project. So I'm now going to hand back over to Owen to talk about some partnership considerations. Apologies. Thanks very much, Izzy. Um, so before touching on some sort of high level challenges and opportunities that we've seen, we wanted first to set out um, sort of a sequence of stages that might be found in a typical research partnership. I think what's on this slide is probably quite self-evident, but we thought it was useful to set it out because there might be different research partnership considerations uh, that apply at different stages in the research process. And the dotted lines here indicate a division into three overall stages. So the first stage obviously will be around identifying and forming a research collaboration. Um, and that sort of speaks for itself, but obviously raises issues around identifying the right partner and being able to agree a collaboration with them which of course involves putting together a joint application for funding to the modern slavery PEC or to another funder. And that 
includes some sort of agreement around the amount of funding being requested and how it would be distributed with implications, of course, for time on project from different uh, project partners. The key thing it contains, obviously, is a set of shared objectives for the project, which themselves might be challenging to obtain given different perspectives and objectives of different partner organisations. Once the project actually gets going, there are considerations around roles and responsibilities, which Izzy's just touched on, around which parts of the project are being taken forward by which project partner or partners. And then more specifically, there are questions around decision-making authority and governance arrangements which might be quite straightforward on smaller projects with perhaps only two organisations partnering on the research, but more complex with a multi-stakeholder partnership, perhaps with an external advisory board in place. And then finally, towards and after the end of the funded project period, at least for Modern Slavery PEC funded projects, there will always be a phase of disseminating findings and engaging in policy influencing activities which obviously can range from a workshop or panel discussion to a parliamentary event to a podcast and may involve some or all project partners in different capacities. After the end of the funded project period, in many cases, we've seen research partnerships continue, which is obviously a really great opportunity uh, for longer term sustained partnerships that might feed into future research. I hope this is a kind of useful basic reference point as we talk through some of the issues and opportunities that we've noticed, but also when we get to the case studies later in this webinar. So what I'm now going to do is just to highlight some challenges and opportunities that we've noticed across some of the research partnerships that we as the Modern Slavery PEC have worked with. Um, there's an emphasis here on challenges that have come up, but they're not supposed to sound uh, too negative. What we wanted to do was highlight those challenges because it's important to recognise them, but we will go on to talk about steps that we have taken to try and get around them. And it's also important to stress that project teams themselves find creative ways around them. Um, and we'll hear from the two case studies later to shed some more light on that. So just to run through these quite quickly, partnerships obviously are not like uh, a written research report. It's a much more intangible aspect of a research partnership, and it can be difficult accordingly to think about specific partnerships objectives. But we would really encourage research teams to do that because it helps to make explicit what the partnership's ambitions are from a particular project. Coordination is obviously a necessary part of any research project, but particularly with a multi-stakeholder cross-sector partnership, there will be an increased need for that kind of coordination. And there are sort of specific knock-on effects. For example, there may sometimes not be a single team member who has the authority to speak on behalf of the whole project. Um, so arrangements might need to be put in place for that. Funding constraints are obviously um, going to affect the kind of level of engagement that we might expect from different partners. For example, if there's a limited amount of funding that can go to a non-academic partner. The Modern Slavery PEC has taken some steps to address this by, for example, increasing the percentage of funding that can go to the NGO partner on any individual research projects, which we'll talk more about. Reliance on existing partnerships is both a challenge and an opportunity, I think. An opportunity insofar as existing relationships can be developed into research partnerships, but of course a challenge if you need to establish such a partnership from scratch in quite a short period to meet a funding deadline. 
And that links to a wider question of NGO resourcing. We know that some smaller NGOs in particular have told us that they can struggle to process quite high numbers of requests from academic researchers for their collaboration. And if they don't know those researchers, they may struggle to distinguish between requests that are more genuinely collaborative and those that are perhaps more extractive. All of which means that facilitating networking between prospective partners around research calls and in general is, is really critical, but is quite difficult, I think, to do. And the Modern Slavery Pack has tried various ways of doing this, one of which is our Google group. I'll pop the link to that in the chat. This is a mailing list network where we encourage um, organisations that may be interested in applying to our research goals to make links with one another. And then finally, I mentioned on a previous slide the question of forming shared objectives and approaches. Obviously, it can be tricky for multiple organisations with different goals, perspectives, resources to agree a set of shared objectives for a single project. So having gone through those challenges and opportunities, these are a few quite high level reflections um, from the modern slavery PEC side as a funder uh, on some of these dimensions of cross-sector research partnerships. We think there is definitely an important capacity building role for the research funder in supporting new and existing cross-sector research partnerships. And this event is, as Alex mentioned earlier, one part of how we're trying to fulfill that role. It's very clear that roles and responsibilities within project teams need to be set out with as much clarity as possible right at the outset of the project. And of course, that those different roles and responsibilities need to be appropriately compensated. Partners clearly need to engage sensitively with one another, understanding the different incentives and perspectives that they bring to a project team. And of course, that applies, especially when it comes to engagement with vulnerable groups, such as people who have lived experience of modern slavery, whether those people are part of the project team themselves or stakeholders who are being engaged as research participants. It's extremely obvious to say it, but nonetheless important. Um, basic logistical arrangements like payment schedules are crucial to get right, because if they're not quite right, they can seriously affect how uh, how easily the project team is able to deliver what they want to deliver. And finally, again, obvious, but it does take time and resource to build robust partnerships. Uh, and again, as I said earlier, I think both a challenge and an opportunity, because when they are built, they can sustain over quite a significant period. So having gone through some of those challenges and reflections, I'm now going to hand back to Izzy, who will talk about some of the things that the Modern Slavery Pack is doing differently to respond to those issues. Back to you, Izzy. Thanks, Owen. So one of the main changes that we've made to try and facilitate collaboration in the last year is to update our funding mechanisms. The biggest change being that we now allow projects to allocate up to 50% of their budget to UK-based third sector organisations, which is really in rec recognition of sort of the time, energy um, and expertise and knowledge that these organisations bring to research projects. And under certain funding calls um, run by the Monzo Repec, charities registered in the UK can also be the lead researchers, so the principal investigators that I was mentioning earlier, on these projects. And again, that's really just recognising their expertise and wealth of knowledge that they bring to research in the sector. 
When projects are funded, we work with teams to create a bespoke contract and payment plan to ensure that our funding is done in a way that's equitable. So trying to sort of manage some of those difficulties um, that Owen mentioned earlier as much as we can right from the outset to try and ensure that you know, once you're funded, you can just focus on getting the research done. We also ask project teams to write up their partnership plans and objectives sort of at the outset of their projects so that we can reflect on these throughout and try and assist them where we can. In terms of our partnership um, as an organisation, we're really keen on focusing on engaging people with lived experience of modern slavery throughout the research process. So this includes on our end through the development of core documentations and the assessment of applications to funding calls where we work with people with lived experience. But we also encourage projects where possible and as far as possible to include people with lived experience in their research. And we're really happy to offer support to project teams when they want to do things like safeguarding or sort of talking through logistical issues that might arise through doing this. And then finally, we're working to run targeted capacity building events like the one that we're running today um, to try and share some of our learnings back with people working in the sector. So Anna, hand back to Owen to talk through the case studies. Thanks very much, Izzy. Great, so excuse me. That's the end of uh, the section of this meeting where um, we're talking from the perspective of the modern slavery PEC. And what we're now going to do is hear from two case studies, each of which is based on a project funded by the modern slavery PEC. Uh, and for each, uh, we're going to have some of the project partners talking specifically about their experience working in an academic civil society partnership on a modern slavery research project. So for the first of those case studies, um, I'm really delighted to welcome members of the team on the project, Prevention of Adult Sexual and Labour Exploitation in the UK, What Does or Could Work? Uh, and from that team, we have Dr Liz Such, uh, Debbie Arrio, Chief Executive of Afruca, and Robin Brierley, Executive Director of the West Midlands Anti-Slavery Network, to talk about their experience. So I'll hand over to the three of you. Thanks very much. Um, hello, good afternoon. Can you hear me? Yes, yeah. we can hear you, Debbie. Okay. Um, sorry, I can't uh, show my video because uh, I have problems with my um, with my network at home. But um, I'm very pleased to introduce my colleagues, um, Dr. Lee Serge and Robert Burley of, from the West Midlands Anti-Slavery Network. My name is Debbie Ario. I'm the CEO of the charity Afruka. I'm also the chair of the UK BME Anti-Slavery Network. And earlier this year, we delivered a project around prevention of adult sexual and labor exploitation in the UK. And it was a very interesting uh, project for us because at Batsnet and Afruka, of course, as most um, um, participants might be aware, last year we launched the UK um, uh, Anti-Trafficking and Modern Slavery Equality, Diversity and Inclusion Action Plan. And so the issue of survival engagement, community engagement, were very uh, much at the center of the work that we did on this project. There are many reasons for that. We wanted to start the whole process of ensuring that people with lived experiences of modern slavery and human trafficking, uh, you know, are fully engaged in the work around uh, research looked at communities 
affected communities uh, as having lived experience of modern slavery because of course different communities are, are affected in different ways so we engaged and we also engaged survivors of modern slavery human trafficking um we it wasn't just about engaging them we was also ensuring a number of key things happen firstly and i'm just going to talk about this briefly and then i'm going to hand over to my colleagues to continue the conversation we wanted to ensure that when people are contributing to research they're actually giving up their time they're giving up their knowledge and expertise and experience and we wanted to ensure that they were fully reimbursed for that so that was a key consideration for us as part of the project uh, we also wanted to be certain that people who were taking part in our research were not just engaged in a uh, in an artificial manner so we ensure that they were fully brought on board in relation to uh, asking their views on what information should be gathered in relation to prevention in relation to their own different areas of expertise or experience and also in relation to their own different communities what were the key issues in their own different communities um i mean also we also um we we also highlighted for different participants the issue around um ensuring that uh, the views that they um contributing will be taken on board so i mean es essentially so it wasn't just um uh uh engaging them for the fun of it but actually ensuring that their views really mattered and so um when we produce the draft um when we produce the draft report of the project we ensure that of course uh this was circulated to make sure they were happy with the um with the product before it was finalized so i mean I'm going to stop here and hand over to Robin to continue uh, in relation to uh, his own organization's experience of working on this project. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much, Debbie. And um, just for those who are listening, between the three of us, we have 10 minutes. So I'm literally going to speak for a couple of minutes and then hand over to Lizzie. Um, but so thank you very much for inviting us to uh, come and present today on this case study. My name is Robin Briley, uh, West Midlands Anti-Slavery Network, and I manage two other partnerships, one in Durham, one in Cleveland, and jointly National Network Coordinators Forum with the Human Trafficking Foundation. So I have a kind of pretty good idea of some of the challenges that frontline workers and grassroots organisations um, are, are facing on a day-to-day uh, basis so we really welcomed working on this and I think that's one of the benefits of this so kind of probably in line with what Sarah Thornton said um, as opposed to academia choosing subjects that they're interested in and then researching them and unfortunately some probably end up in a shelf somewhere but you know a lot of hard work's gone into it and there's a lot of good stuff within them never kind of coming to realization or implementing implementable um so for us that's what was attractive to this so prevention the subject of prevention was hugely important to us grassroots level organizations seeing victims you know, repeat victims that uh, the same conversations we were speaking about albania 10 years ago and we're still speaking about it we're having the same conversations six years later so actually working on this with academic academia with liz 
on something that we can actually use and help prevent exploitation in the future. Um, so that was that was one of the kind of key things for us. Um, often implementation of some of the government legislation policies and processes is by those frontline um, organizations. So for example, you know, the um, Sorry, Robin, I'm not sure if you can still hear us. I think we might have lost you. Yeah, I think he's frozen. Don't time that on his back. It's my signal when I've only got three minutes. But um, yeah, so often it's those kind of frontline organisations that are implementing government and home office strategies and processes. Um, so th this work, what, what I liked about this work on the prevention, it very much linked to the public health approach that we've also worked with Lizzie on. So, for example, as a result of this in the West Midlands, we've now gone on to look at taking the public health approach to non-slavery. And sometimes these things are easier, easy to say, it just kind of rolls off the tongue, the public health approach to non-slavery. But when you actually work with Liz and academics and other frontline um, organisations, you realise what a challenge that is in itself. And so when we were speaking about primary, secondary and tertiary prevention, actually looking at which organisations are featuring, you know, which organisations are responsible for primary um, prevention and tertiary and secondary. So it's been a hugely interesting um, exercise for us. And, and just to kind of beforehand over to Liz, to say something. So that's kind of evidence that working with Liz on this, working with MS Peck on this, has turned into something that is being put into practice right at this moment in time. West Midlands taking, looking at taking a public health approach um, together with prevention uh, to non-slavery. So probably ran over my time a moment there, but uh, I'm handing over to Liz now. Thanks Robin, thanks Debbie. And uh, yeah, just to sort of reiterate um, some of those points really from my perspective as a researcher, I think um, from a researcher's point of view, of course, we're always curious about the research questions, but we're not always clear about the origins of those questions. And I think not just in this project, but the um, previous work I've done with Debbie and um, Robin has been led by a curiosity around what are the questions that people who are working on the front line asking themselves that research could answer, but sometimes um, doesn't because it doesn't know what the sensible question is. So um, sort of based on that, I was thinking about what are the things that I got out of this um, project and other projects of work with Debbie and Robin on that have um, that fed that curiosity. And, and really, I just sort of had a few kind of things that I've learned really from them both. And the first thing was that um, I feel like we got to know each other quite well first and although Covid has been difficult and I didn't meet Debbie face to face for, for a, a little while, I think there's no um, replacement for that face to face contact um, and had that with West Midlands Anti-Slavery Network well in advance of the project and uh, um, and have had since with um, Debbie on other projects relating to equality, diversity and inclusion. I just think that face to face and getting to know each other well first means that you have a sense of each other's values and goals. And that's actually really quite important when you're going to 
um, think about and try and distribute power more equally between each other in a partnership, in a research partnership. So take some, taking some time to find out what each other's interests are and putting a learning hat on as a researcher, so learning from um, from Robin and Debbie, so learning from Debbie about Black Lives Matter movement and being involved in Basnet really made me understand what relevant questions there were to ask. Um, I think also knowing my own strengths and the strengths of other researchers that were working with us and the strengths of uh, Debbie and uh, her team and Robin and his team really helped me sort of think about the overall effectiveness of the of the team and how uh, equitable it was in its in its power distribution and then um, just some of the basics around having a really good research plan and, and uh, the dreaded Gantt chart I think really helps us sort of push through on quite tight deadlines but all of us buying into that and being really transparent so it's just kind of good governance stuff really about being transparent about where the deadlines are and we're all working towards those. Um, Debbie talked about um, working with uh, affected communities and checking with people um, that uh, their contribution is acknowledged properly. So always give credit um, and that includes in authorship and acknowledgements and also providing people the option to be named in publications as contributors. Um, so and I think also just thinking critically about what the makeup of your team is and um, the potential power imbalances that could be um, played out within that team. <clears throat> and I think we have quite good but informal checks and balances about power imbalances within our team, but maybe making that a more explicit formal process would be something that would be useful um, in the future. Um, but also I think equity is also about sort of knowing each other and, and enjoying what you're doing together and I think we really did that on that um, particular project and project since so those were kind of my lessons that I learned from working with Debbie and, and Robin in our partnership. Thanks very much indeed to all three of you really really interesting to hear your reflections on that partnership and uh, Gantt charts are always going to find a, a warm reception at our end so <laughs> never unhappy to hear about them. Brilliant, thank you. So we're now going to move on to the second case study that we have today, um, which is on the project addressing lack of access to legal advice for survivors. Uh, and I'm really delighted to welcome Lauren Saunders, who is head of policy and research at the modern slavery charity Unseen, and one of the partners on that project who's going to speak to her experiences. Um, so Lauren, over to you. Hi, I'm Lauren, Head of Policy and Research at Unseen and the Modern Slavery Helpline. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit today about our case study on the addressing lack of access to legal services for survivors, um, which is a partnership with Brit um, the British Institute of International and Comparative Law. Um, and I'm also going to speak a little bit wider about other partnerships that I've been involved with and some lessons learned from that. Uh, so, yeah, from the particular case study that I'm talking about today, um, a few things that we set up quite early, which really helped with our partnership working, um, was we set up an early, um, the Bickle reached out very early on the funding call release to kind of introduce themselves. And we actually were able to kind of develop a big, strong partnership from the get go um, because of that quick response to the, um, the release date of the funding. So that was really helpful. 
Um, if during the application stage, um, it was very quick and easy because priorities for the research were really clearly defined within the initial kind of expression of interest. Um, and that and meant that um, all of us could feed in quite quickly and really allow for speedy editing um, to really make sure that that application um, was really strong. Um, once the funding kind of was agreed, we were able to kind of set up a partnership working agreement really early on as well, um, which had clearly defined roles for everyone. And then we agreed in informal, regular check ins fortnightly with the option for kind of more or less if we needed them, um, which, again, was really helpful to have an ongoing discussion about what we're doing, um, where we're currently at, any kind of capacity challenges that we were both facing. Um, I think that was something that was really useful because um, as the project started, quite quickly um, there was other existing projects for both um, sides of the partnership that we were able to kind of navigate because we had that regular communication um, had a lot of respect for each other's different skill sets and roles which I think is really important for any kind of collaborative working um, partnership because we were able to kind of understand the differences that each other could bring and I think that was um, really really um, really good and yes yeah, strong communication throughout we've been emailing back and forth um, and like I say we've had these informal check-ins so all of those things have been really helpful um, for this project. So in terms of wider kind of partnership reflections that I've um, learned from not just this project, but other ones that I've been in, um, involved with is the challenges that have already been touched on a little bit about managing the different priorities and different workloads of each side of the partnership. Um, and that might be related to different uh, things like term times or annual leave and how that impacts on wider um, kind of capacity challenges and things that are going on um, for us particularly for us um, we're quite a responsive or um, NGO there's lots of things going on so sometimes priorities have to shift and that means research projects can take a little bit back step while we're dealing with emergencies and things that are happening so um, yeah just that regular communication is really helpful for that. Um, I think understanding the um, timeframes that incorporating lived experience into projects can have. Um, so it's not just a quick de desk based exercise. Um, it can't be just myself um, doing a piece of work. Um, it is involving um, those with lived experiences and things like that include making sure that they've got the information um, available to be able to really understand what the project is and how they can get involved. Um, support um, delivered to anyone who, who might need it and then being able to deliver on the tasks it may take a bit longer than actually um, just a quick desk based activity. So, um, yeah, really kind of factoring that in um, and being flexible around that. I think something else that's really important that I've kind of definitely picked up on in various research projects is the language used and the differences in this that that can have for different um, organisations. So this is in both discussions, but actually in document edits and reviews of information as well. Um, so things that might be really kind of common in the research sector. So tools that are used or um, techniques for research, software used for data analysis or um, process that is like ethical um, processes within universities, all of these things, um, they might be a very new kind of area area for the NGO. So actually taking the time to understand that different levels of, you know, you might be saying something that's really, um, really kind of makes sense for one side, but not necessarily something that the other side has come across before. So yeah, just taking that time to make sure everyone fully understands what, what these processes involved and what these techniques are. Um, I think this was touched on earlier as well, um, but awareness of research fatigue. I think if you look at the kind of number of academic institutions and 
independent researchers out there versus the number of NGOs um, working in the modern slavery sector, there is a bit of a difference there. So actually, yeah, it's navigating um, the levels of requests and not just for collaboration pieces, but participation as well. Um, so what we have kind of had to adapt is kind of putting a limit on how many things uh, we put out um, each month to our um, survivors and the people that we work with because we don't want to actually overload people with constant requests to take in um to take part in research so i think yeah definitely that's something to worth factoring into any plans is making sure that there's time for um, any research participants to actually review the request um, and then manage it within their time frames and also kind of um, being aware of those challenges um, making connections that last is really important. Um, so for those participation pieces, those can actually lead to collaborating later down the line. Um, so one project that I've been recently working on, I may initially had contact via a request for a participation, and then that led to a future collaboration on a, a project piece. So that is um, really kind of strong. So actually, if you are engaging with different conversations, making those connections that really last because it might not be your last interaction with that individual. Um, and I think this was also touched on already is agreeing the remuneration processes early. So payment in arrears um, can be challenging for NGOs who may have to kind of um, get interpreter costs or uh, travel costs or um, anything like that, staff covering co costs. Um, that can be different via payment in arrears processes. So yeah, just being aware of that as well. Um, so yeah, that was a very whistle stop tour. Um, I haven't got long. So yeah, I'll leave it, leave it over back to the PEC. Thank you.